0: Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, and if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So what y'all see me do on Sunday mornings, what you see Andy, our lead pastor, and Beth, our other associate pastor, do on Sunday mornings is probably time-wise only about 5% of what our job entails. You only see about 5% of it on Sunday mornings. There is so much more that your pastors do during the week than what probably some of you realize unless you work in the office or you served on one of the SPRC committees and And know that, but there's a lot that your pastors do besides just what you see Sunday morning at this church. Typically for me, uh, Monday through Thursday is my office time. Usually in the mornings I'm in the office, meeting with other staff members, other team members, catching up on emails, doing administrative tasks of the church. There's a lot of administrative work that goes into making sure our church is functioning. And that takes a large part of my mornings on Monday through Thursdays. And then usually the afternoons, I'll go out and visit folks, make phone calls, do some sermon prep. I'm kind of on the move in the afternoons. And then at nighttime, we have a lot of meetings. We meet a lot here at the church. So a lot of my time uh, after five thirty-six is usually in a meeting with some of you guys. And so that's kind of what my schedule is. But the bulk of it, you don't see on Sunday mornings. But there are these moments when we're in the office, and there's a lot of us in the office. There's about 12 of us who all kind of share an office suite. So we're like our own little group of people. You know, and there are some moments where some folks are out running errands or it's their day off or they're in a meeting and it's just kind of quiet. It's usually just me and maybe the receptionist and somebody else. And then I get a little hungry. You know, whenever you're working around the office, sometimes you just get a little hungry. And see, this season of Lent, our office staff is doing a fitness weight loss challenge, okay? Um, And it's not working real well on me right now but I am trying to faithfully do this fitness weight loss challenge with the staff so whenever you know we first started this we try to have healthy snacks around the office you know but there's one thing in the office that I've noticed is that we have a large population of these bad boys chips and they're always around always and when the supply gets low we usually have a big church event And so all these chips get dropped off at our church, and we use them for the event, and the leftovers just hang out in the office. And so that's where I kind of have my stomach's getting hungry. There's not much folks in the office. I know the closet where Jason keeps these kind of hidden, but I know where they are. Uh, I have a little temptation to go in there and grab a bag of chips. You know, I know I'm not supposed to. I'm on the weight loss challenge. They're, you know, they were left over from an event, but, you know, that one bag of chips. No one really notices one bag of chips being gone. Especially there's no one in the office, just a couple of folks. And I can quietly get in there and not make a lot of noise, not rustle around too bad, and go back to my desk, and I can just eat away, right? But, in essence, this is my Achilles heel, these chips. This is my big temptation during the week when I'm in the office. I'm trying to be healthy, trying to be good, but yet I still get drawn to these chips, Now, did these chips, like, audibly call out my name? No. Were they in my line of vision? No. But I knew where they were. I knew that I was kind of tempted to go for it. And so these chips, this is something that's really bad for me. I have to get rid of them in the office, because if not, I'm going to eat them all. But we all have these moments where we know that, you know what, we really probably shouldn't. You know, we're trying to be good. We're trying to follow the rules. Trying to set an example. But yet, there's just something in us that we just give in sometimes. And that's because we are all faced with different levels and varying forms of temptations. And you know who else knows this? The devil knows this. The devil knows that God's creation will be presented with temptations at various levels. And the devil and his evil forces, the other fallen angels sometimes know exactly how to talk to us, to plant those seeds to where we then begin to have this internal battle of doing something good or evil. And that's what we're looking at. Our series that we're in is called The Devil and the Details. And we're looking at places in Scripture where the devil is mentioned and in, in situations where the devil interacts with either God, Jesus, or his creation. And what we can learn from that, what we can learn from that, because Actually, the devil would be really happy if we didn't even learn anything about him, that we were blind to him. That would give him the freedom to roam about and cause the chaos that he wants to cause. So, what we did is kind of recap, and we looked at the first passage of the devil that we got to was in Revelations. We started out with the big one where the devil's represented as the big dragon, and it talks about the big battle between the archangel Michael and the fallen angels of the devil and being cast out to the earth where everybody else is. We looked at that in the battle of Revelations. And then last week, we went into the garden in Genesis, where the devil, as the serpent, attacked God's creation directly by planting that seed in Eve's mind of, you know what? It may not be all that bad. You get to know good and evil like God does if you eat from this fruit. It's not going to harm you. So he planted the seed and directly attacked God's creation, which then led to the fall. And so today, we're going to look at this gospel account of Jesus and the devil and temptation and how that plays in this scene here and how that plays for us in our daily lives in our daily lives. And so when you go to the Google and you type in what is temptation, it spits out a definition and it says the act of tempting or the state of being tempted especially to evil enticement, something tempting, a cause or an occasion for enticement. All right. So to be tempted is the act or the state of being tempted, especially to evil, so it's enticement, being enticed to do something that you know you're not supposed to do, okay? entice. So is it wrong then? The question should be asked then, is it wrong to be tempted? Is it a sin to be tempted? No. it's not a sin to be tempted. And that's why we have this passage in Matthew this passage in Matthew is also presented in what's called the Synoptic Gospels, which are the Matthew, Luke, and Mark Gospels. Okay? This, you can find this story in all three of those. You won't find it like this in John. And Mark's is real short. He basically says Jesus, after being baptized, goes out to the wilderness with the wild beast, and then he begins his ministry after you know, fasting for 40 days. That's basically what it does. It doesn't have the whole dialogue between the devil and Jesus, but Luke and Matthew do. Okay? And so we have this here because to show us, hey, you're going to be tempted. If Jesus was tempted, you're going to be tempted. Okay? You're going to be tempted. And temptation is not a sin because Jesus is without sin. So if he is without sin, as Scripture says, then when he's tempted, that's not a sin. All right? But we also know that Scripture talks about, you know, hatred in the heart is a sin. Lustful thoughts are a sin. So, what makes these thoughts and things that pop in your head a sin? But when you're tempted with something and you know there's a good and evil, why that thought is not a sin? When you're presented with a temptation, you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. You are given the free will to choose. You can choose to succumb to the temptation and dive right on into this box of chips and eat every last one of them, or you can leave it alone. You still have the freedom to choose. okay? But when you allow evil thoughts to manifest in your mind, and it's not just a passing thought of a choice between good and evil, but if it's something that's manifested into you and it becomes the core of who you are, then that is a sin. And so Jesus did not dwell on these temptations. He did not allow them to manifest into the core of who he is. So that's how he was able to avoid the sin. And he chose the right path with each one of these. So let's look at the three temptations of Jesus because these are specific temptations for him in this moment. Okay, And then we'll talk about us and the church and the temptations that we may face. But here are the three that Jesus was presented with by the devil. So in the moment that Jesus goes to the wilderness, he was just baptized. And the Holy Spirit just descended down upon him like a dove. And then immediately he went out to the wilderness to fast for 40 days before he began his ministry and called the disciples and did all that stuff that we now know, he went out to the wilderness. Now, the wilderness for him and that, that place is more of like a deserted area. It's not like the woods we have out back in our wilderness. It's geographically different. Also, when you go out into the wilderness, and whenever you see that in Scripture, that is a physical place or a state of mind that you go to to basically figure things out. To discern, what's called to discern. And when you fast, you're fasting and praying. So Jesus then, after the Spirit descended upon him like a dove at his baptism, he goes out to the wilderness to fast, to pray, discern what he needs to do. And we all know the story. That means he is praying discerning that ultimately he is going to go to the cross for our sake. Okay, so he's going to go off into the wilderness to fast, to pray. And the Spirit led him there. The same Spirit that descended down upon him then leads him into the wilderness. It doesn't forsake him or leave him alone. It doesn't say the Spirit left him after he dropped him off of the wilderness. No. God was still with him. But it led him to a place to discern. And that means for us sometimes we have to realize the Holy Spirit may lead us to places that may not make us real excited about going. But the Spirit will always be with you in those moments as well. And so it led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. There's a lot of parallels in this. There's other stories in the Old Testament. Like in the Exodus and the traveling Israelites of 40 years in the wilderness. And there's 40 days. The, year, the number 40 is a big symbolic number in Scripture through Old and New Testament. So 40 days. And this is where we get the idea of what the season of Lent that we're in now. The 40 days of Lent where we are, too, repenting and turning towards God and discerning areas in our life that we need to cut away and the new direction that God is calling us to be. So this is where we get this idea of 40 days. And so when Jesus is here at his potentially physically weakest, he's been fasting for 40 days. The devil didn't come at the beginning when Jesus wasn't that hungry. He came towards the end, okay, where he knew Jesus may be at his physical weakest to present him three temptations. And so let's look at the first temptation. It says here in Matthew, it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So he said, All right, I know you're hungry. You've been out here not eating. So you've got the, the ability to, make, to to do miracles, you know you can multiply fishes and loaves. You know we we know you have that ability. So, why don't you just turn these stones into bread and eat? Why don't you just do that? But then Jesus replies, "One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God." So, a few things here, all right? Like I said, Jesus is hungry. The devil shows up. The devil shows up. He doesn't send one of his other fallen angels, evil forces. He sent himself. ...to go and tempt Jesus Christ, okay? And so what he said is, turn the stone to bread. You can do this. And what this shows us is that it's a challenge, a temptation over earthly things. It's a temptation for Jesus to not perform a miracle that's not necessary. Because the devil wanted him to perform a miracle that no one would see... ...that would only feed himself... But Jesus knew better than that. And Jesus' reply came from Scripture. He came from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. That's where he says, Man shall not live by bread alone. That comes from Scripture, from Deuteronomy. So he quoted Scripture back at the devil as a response to not turning these stones into loaves of bread and to fulfilling his human earthly desire and the desire to perform a miracle. And so that's a temptation that Jesus faced directly. Now, can we face temptations for earthly things? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. We can understand the temptation of being hungry and giving in to something that you're not supposed to. We understand that. I love Bam's illustration of the grapes. Maybe that lady was just really hungry, Bam. Maybe she was fasting and really needed to eat the grapes. Who knows? We can relate to this. okay? But the devil picked this first temptation directly for Jesus because he knew this would be something he'd face. And so Jesus blocked him. He said, no, I'm not doing it. And here, I'm going to quote you back some scripture. Did the devil leave him? Did the devil say, oh, shoot, that didn't work. I'm going to go back and leave him alone? No. He said, all right. He said, I'll try something else. I'll try a different temptation. So he took Jesus to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, a very high spot. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. So that was probably quite the scene. You'd have the devil and Jesus on one of the tallest points of the temple that looked Over the Kidron Valley is a very tall place. And there they were. You can only imagine the people that were down below that started tapping each other and hitting each other. Hey, look up there. Who's that up there? What are they doing? There were people down below that could see this. And so here's a temptation. There's a couple temptations that the devil was trying out on Jesus here. Well, first, he said, you know what? Throw yourself down. Because we know it's written in Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up. So that you will not dash your foot against the stone. The devil knows scripture. And knows how to twist it. And make it lie. So you as a rebuttal really need to study scripture as well. So you know when it's being used wrongly. And here... The devil "You saying, throw yourself down. It's in Psalm 91. They'll send the angels and you'll be picked right on up. What that would have done would have been a couple things. One, it would have been a big spectacle to see that. In that moment, if Jesus would have thrown himself down off the temple and everybody was watching this dude just jump off, yeah, they're going to watch it. And then you'll have the angels come in and pick him up and place him safely. And in that moment Jesus would have been revealed to who he really was and that was not the right timing for him to be revealed to who he really was. He needed to be crucified on a cross to pay our price and he needed to be resurrected for us to know who he was. That was not the right moment. But it was tempting Jesus to be relevant, to be a spectacle, to go ahead and show who he was and that was not God's plan in the moment. And Jesus knew that. Also This is tempting Jesus with his safety and security. It's a test of God, really. It's a test of God. And it also put Jesus at his uh, place where he could could have died. Could have been hurt. And we can relate to that as well. We can relate to wanting to be spectacular in our lives as individuals. To be someone of importance. Someone to be respected. We can relate to that temptation and what it can be. And we also can relate to the temptation of being safe above all else, to be comfortable. So what did Jesus do? Again, he quotes back Scripture, and he uses Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16 here. He says, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus rebuttals the devil with the actual use of Scripture in the way it's intended to be used. Okay, That should teach us something. That you can use scripture as a weapon against evil. It's one of the few weapons that you have. So, did the devil at that point say, All right, I'm done. I'm going to leave you alone? No. He comes back third time. And again, he took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Look at all this. I was thrown down here to the earth to cause chaos. I control all these kings and kingdoms. They're doing my evil bidding. They don't even know it probably. So I can turn them over to you and they'll be yours. You can establish an earthly kingdom today and this would all be done and over with. But I know God says only have him as your God but Just worship me. That's all that I really want and we'll be done with this. I'll leave you alone. You'll get these kingdoms and and everything will be great, right? You just pay that small price and then you can rule the kingdoms the way you want to. I'll turn them over to you. But again, Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. So a few things with Jesus' response here again. Again... He uses scripture. He says, not away from me, devil. He says, away from me, Satan. Satan means the opposer, the accuser, the one that's working against you. So the devil was a Satan in that moment working against God and Jesus and his creation. But we also know that the devil is the father of all lies. Did the devil really have the authority over all those kingdoms? If Jesus worshipped him, was he really going to get to be ruler of all those kingdoms? No. The devil left that part out. He didn't care. He's going to lie. He's going to cheat. He's going to twist things to get what he wants. And Ultimately, what he wants is he wants God's creation to fall, and he wants everybody to worship him and not God. That's what he wants, and he's going to do everything he can to get that. And so with Jesus here, he saw that these things, these three temptations might trip him up. And he just didn't do it one time, not two times, but three times. So when you deflect the devil or his evil forces, there may come at you in a different way. It is a spiritual battle. It is true, and it is happening whether you realize it or not. But some things that we can learn is that The more we know Scripture, we can use it to help us attack the evil forces and say, No, that's not true. That's false. I see what you're doing there. No. And you can resist. You have the ability to say no. You're given the choice of free will. And there again, the devil did not physically force Jesus to do these things. Just like the serpent in the garden did not force Eve and Adam to eat of the fruit... We all have the choice to do good or to do evil. It's ultimately up to us and we're battling ourselves, really. And so we have to strengthen our will each and every day. And so, yes, these are big temptations, earthly temptations, turning stone into bread or a temptation to be relevant, you know, and safety or the temptation to be powerful. We all understand what those temptations be. And see, in this story, these temptations have a face, the devil. But there are also some faceless temptations that are more subtle that we have to be aware of as well. And I think these are the ones that we deal with more often on the day-to-day. When I was preparing for this sermon, I ran across a commentary from uh, Marietta and Schutz in the Feasting of the Word commentary and I'm going to read to you what she says, because she says it real perfectly here. I think it's important for us to know what she says here. Um, And she uses the example in this quote here uh, from uh, C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. If y'all hadn't read this book, I highly recommend reading this book. It is a good book to read. And so basically what you have here is a story about the devil and his demons, Okay, and they all have weird little names, these demons. Okay, And it talks about how they perform their job its conversations between the demons of trying to get these churchgoers to fall to temptations and to turn away from God and not get into heaven. And so they call these churchgoers that these demons are working on, they call them patients. And so they write letters back and forth, the screw tape letters, and that's what you read in here. Letters between the demons trying to trick these patients and trying to share stories of what they do. It's a really interesting read. So she uses this for her her analogy here let me read it it says in c.s lewis's the screw tape letters the author writes of a junior tempter in training named warmwood and his mentor uncle Screwtape. and young warmwood's task is to darken the heart of his patient to train him to love things worldly and reject god so that warmwood may finally escort him into what we can only imagine is hell the young apprentice is to keep his patient, navel-gazing and self-involved, clueless about who he is. To keep him spiritual and not practical. Screwtape advises as it is the practical that often brings people to God. Encourage him to pray for tangible, desired ends so that his direct prayers to objects are to objects and not to God. Allow the patient to be oversensitive to everything... Even his mother, make her great on his nerves. Keep his prayers formless as they are easier to manipulate. Turn his gaze away from God and towards himself. Create a subtle conflict when he prays for courage. Let him find himself turning boastful. And in the final letter, the patient eventually dies, but goes to heaven, leaving Warmwood a failure and a screw tape in a spiral of anger. The captivating part of the story is not that Screwtape and Wormwood are trying to create an army of ruthless killers. Rather, they are trying to create a generation of people who are defined by selflessness, insincerity, pettiness, and pride, fear, and a need to control things of this world. So, This is true of our own temptations. Most of us cannot imagine the devil offering bread after a 40-day fast to us. We do not know the fear being held over our ledge like the Empire State Building. And we certainly do not know the temptations being offered all the power of the world. Each one of us, however, understands the temptations Screwtape and Wormwood offer. Pride, vanity, selflessness, apathy. And these are just as dark as Jesus' temptations, and perhaps even more so, because most of the time we do not see the face of those temptations. So that's what I wanted us to hear today, is that, While Jesus faced big temptations, and we can relate to some of that in our own lives, but what we actually deal with is the temptation of pride, vanity, apathy, being formless. Just, as they say, going through the motions. And I think that's what we have to be careful of in this day and age. We have to be careful of not running into that. Because when we run into pride and vanity and apathy, then we're not out there seeking to help those in need, feeding the hungry, ministering to those that are hurting, going through losses. We're not doing any of that. And so what I want us to do during this time of Lent and as we learn about the devil and the details is to evaluate areas in our life where we find apathy, where we have too much pride, vanity, where we're focused on ourselves more, We need to be focusing on others more and loving our neighbors and loving our God. Because when we do that, we directly go against what the devil's trying to do, which is get us to turn our backs on God. So the season of Lent is a time of reflection, but it's also a time of joy as we repent, which means you focus towards God. And then you begin to share in that love and grace that is offered to us and as we give it to those in the world that we have. So may we do that this season. Let's pray.